very often, like, you know, innovative transformation of urban space uh, comes from, like, questioning those regulations and uh, adapting regulations to uh, what needs to happen. Hi, and welcome back to the Cities Reimagined podcast. I'm your voice of choice, Johannes Riegler. And in every episode of the show, we put together conversations just like the one you are about to hear to leave you inspired and become the best change maker you can possibly be. The topic of today is grassroots cultural centers for reimagining cities. And my guest on the show is Tiffany Fukuma, who's the managing director of Trans Europe Hallas. So Trans Europe Hallas is a network of over 160 grassroots cultural initiatives and centers. What these grassroots cultural centers essentially do is reinterpreting space and spaces and giving a new soul and identity to vacant buildings and vacant places. Trans Europe Hallas is around for about 40 years, so for quite a while. And, and when Tiffany and I met in Umeå, in northern Sweden, uh, in February 2023 at the conference, we started exchanging and discussing the role of these centers and grassroots initiatives, grassroots cultural initiatives and uh, centers for making urban areas better places to live and making them more sustainable and regenerative. One of the conclusions uh, Tiffany and I drew from this conversation in Umeå in Northern Sweden was that we work along the same lines, but um, the communities are very different. Where the urban transition community is more focused on research and innovation, cities, local public administration, uh, the community around Trans Europe Palace is more focused on the cultural sector and um, tackles sustainability and urban transitions from, from a different angle. But ultimately, the goals are the same or similar or comparable. And this is why I'm very happy to have Tiffany Fukuma on the show today to discuss these topics further, to see what the role of grassroots cultural centers can be and are for urban transitions. And also to find out about Tiffany's personal background, which is a story or a journey between France, Japan, between DIY punk rock and uh, working in embassies. So here is the conversation I had with Tiffany just before Christmas break of 2023. So if you hear a note about a Christmas tree in the background, that's why. Enjoy. Hi, Tiffany. Hey. <laughs> it's so nice having you on Cities Reimagined. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? I see a Christmas tree behind you. Where are you? At yes, I... I'm currently in southern France in Toulouse uh, with my family, but I am remote working uh, in front of the Christmas tree, actually. So. <laughs> but thank you for having me on this podcast. Nice to reconnect, too. Tiffany, can you, can you share a little bit about your personal background? What led you to become involved in uh, Trans-Europe Palace in the first place? 
That's a short question, but the answer might be a bit long. When I'm asked this question, usually what I say is, I start by saying that I know, I've known TransEuropass since I was 16. When I was 16, I was a high school student, but I was also uh, organizing punk concerts in, uh, in basements. And I was living in the French Alps uh, at the time, a very small city near Grenoble. At the time, the places to organize these uh, kind of concerts were mostly illegal spaces uh, run by uh, the anarcho-punk scene. And so, well, you can imagine the kind of spaces it was like, uh, literally underground. So it was uh, basement floors. It was not very safe. It was like floors were sticky with beer, and and the sound was very loud. And uh, and uh, I made friends at the time in Geneva, uh, so on the other side of the border. And uh, they were running a squad called Duplex. And when I discovered the squat scene in Geneva, it was a completely different scene. It was uh, also illegal, uh, but it was, uh, the, you know, like uh, in the ugly duckling tale when the the ugly duckling like uh, meets their family of uh, of swans, you know, in the end. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable what they are able to do with basically the same means as we do. You know, they occupy the space illegally, etc. But through the discussions, I figured out that there were a lot of regulations put in place by the city of Geneva at the time uh, that allowed the squatters uh, to stay in the buildings, uh, that there was a probably a, a bigger master plan uh, to gentrify um, the, the neighborhood. It was the Grotte neighborhood uh, behind the, the railway station in Geneva that is now completely gentrified. But uh, so I think it all started with this, with like this fascination for how uh, these communities were uh, able to 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 do this like it looked like really fancy contemporary art slash like really cool electronic music venue environments and uh and so i heard about transfer for the first time at that time and i i heard that there was this network that was really activist and political at the time that was really supporting the development of art squads it was really connected to the uh, squatting scene at, at the time yeah so so it all started like this, but then... So this is so funny or interesting because there's... Uh, you're now... This, I didn't know about that background from you. Um, I did the same in my hometown where I organized uh, punk and hardcore shows uh, mm -hmm. uh, some, some 20, 25 years ago. But you're the third person on the show who has a punk and hardcore background uh, and works in, on urban topics. This is... I find it funny and super interesting. <laughs> What is really funny is that I have the same experience of a lot of people from that scene who actually, if they if they stay long enough in that scene, they always come back at some point to the question of the venues and the buildings, and they get really interested in urban stuff and urban planning. So, yeah, I guess there is a strong connection there. Yes. And fast forward to today. Today, you're, um, you're the managing director of Trans Europe Palace, right? I am, yes. How? What happened in between? 
So uh, in between, I had a daughter when I was very young, so I had to provide for my daughter. So immediately after I finished my studies, I, uh, I, moved, to, I moved to Japan with her and I started working in production. And uh, I had an opportunity because I am I, half Japanese. I, I used to speak Japanese to uh, uh, be hired by the, the embassy, the French embassy in, uh, in, uh, in Japan. And uh, basically to become a civil servant for the French government. Uh, and when I came back to France years later, um, I started working for cities. Uh, so I worked for the city of Paris at a very interesting moment when uh, the city of Paris was building its strategy to become a metropolis. I mean, it technically was already a metropolis, but it was uh, looking at diplomatic ways to reconnect with the, its uh, suburbs and culture was uh, uh, one of the backbones of this uh, strategy. So I was involved in, in this. And then I also worked for uh, the city of Bordeaux, uh, southwest France, which is a much more like, uh, let's say, um, a provincial city, but with interesting features uh, linked with heritage, like uh, massive, massive uh, city redevelopment, um, developed uh, and gentrified neighborhoods and uh, very working class neighborhoods, etc. And uh, both experiences gave me really a, a, an interesting approach of how cities were functioning from uh, the inside. And I, I had to work with like, you know, um, social services with urban institutes, universities, etc. So, I, I yeah, it allowed me to really see the connections. But I was basically in both uh, positions working uh, with the associations, with the grassroots organizations on the ground that were subsidized by the city uh, and developing cultural cooperation projects. So it, it was just interesting to see the links and to understand the politics also. Uh, behind it. Then I moved back with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, to Canada for several years. Uh, I was working in Toronto, um, which was also a really interesting city to be in. Uh, well, it's the city of Richard Florida. It's the city where uh, Jane Jacobs also was teaching for many years. Uh, and I was there at the moment where like, the Google city was uh, trying to set foot in Toronto. It was also the moment when uh, the city was bidding to have Netflix move in um the, the the city and uh i got really close to uh to the city departments uh and also to the grassroots world in toronto uh and uh, and started cooperation projects on advocacy on urban transformation uh as well connecting scenes in france and in uh and in toronto around those so it seems your your work is very much about connecting different worlds as well, right? With your punk rock, hardcore, squatting background and uh, your work in the cultural field and working with local public administration, but also um, what you what you described when you were in Japan, you worked you worked on a national or you worked for the French embassy, which is the national level. How do you connect these dots and what excites you about this bringing together different perspectives? Originally, I have like really two uh, passions, which are like the 
alternative uh, cultural scenes, especially the music scene, and also uh, issues of social justice. I was very involved also in the uh, organizations fighting uh, for the rights of immigrants, newcomers, undocumented migrants, emergency housing, and stuff like that. It's funny because when I joined the public service initially, I, I really was experiencing it as a punishment and uh, something I was doing uh, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, to feed to feed myself and and my daughter. But um, but very quickly, uh, I I became really really interested in the politics and uh, especially in the local politics when I was working for cities like understanding the other side uh, of the mirror and understanding the logics uh, at work behind it and also understanding how to help those scenes and those communities uh, I used to be working with and I kept in way I've always kept working with uh, throughout the years, um, using basically uh, the, the, the framework of public uh, services and also educating from inside, uh, you know, elected officials or, uh, or cultural managers on uh, how to uh, work together better. So in a way, I found myself uh, in the position of a sort of translator be between two worlds that often have difficulties communicating uh, but I yeah I've I've always been uh, you know in in the position of defending uh, the grassroots the local organization because this is really where I see the political transformation happening um, uh, and and it's really good when you work for cities because you can see it you, you can really see the transformations happening. And I think that links to also to your work in Trans Europe Palace, right? It sounds, but um, can you describe a little bit what what that organization is and what your work there is mainly about? Yes, so Trans Europe Palace is an org it's an international organization. It belongs to the family of European Cultural Network. Trans Europe Palace was born in 1983. It came, it stemmed from the initiative of three uh, alternative cultural organizers in Brussels, Zurich, uh, and Amsterdam, uh, who um, were trying to develop projects uh, in their cities. And uh, those projects were repurposing projects, repurposing of abandoned buildings to uh, create spaces for those alternative cultures they were uh, defending. And uh, there was no advocacy for these kind of scenes at the time. And uh, repurposing abandoned buildings for arts and culture was not really a thing. Uh, so our network was born from that. And uh, since then, it developed quite a lot. Now we are present in uh, more than 40 countries, uh, 162 uh, members date. And all of our members come from this grassroots movement, our uh, non-governmental cultural centers, community-driven, and uh, all of our members have this common point of having repurposed uh, an abandoned building uh, for arts and culture uh, 
So at the beginning of the network, I guess it was mostly uh, industrial buildings that were repurposed. But now really we see all typologies of buildings coming in the network. Like, uh, you know, there was the wave of military buildings with the demilitarization. There's uh, now a lot of commercial buildings coming in uh, with the rise of like online commerce, parking lots coming in, you know, with like remote working or office buildings coming up. So it's it's interesting because it follows really also the big movement like you can't like big economic transformations and and social transformations of uh, of cities so the, the network evolves uh, like this and what we do is mostly fundraising uh, for this for these centers who of course don't have a lot of leverage by themselves some of our members have been in the network for over 40 years and have grown to be like really big institutions now as we speak but our we keep uh, integrating new members like you know small cinemas in Kosovo uh, uh, underground concert venues uh, animation movie like you know st- uh, uh, studios uh, established in repurposed buildings and you know in countries like uh, now Azerbaijan or Kosovo uh, Lebanon so yeah so we, we fundraise for them we build advocacy for them a lot of them are still facing issues of uh, eviction of temporary leases. They still are often in very precarious situations. We also help them develop sustainably to transform their buildings, to develop sustainable economic models. Uh, And the way we do that is by connecting all of these centers together and allowing them to exchange knowledge, experiences, this family feel and the fact that they can connect, they really know each other. What I find uh, find so interesting in your work, you come towards urban transitions from a more cultural angle and more um, artistic and cultural perspective towards repurposing empty buildings, old industrial buildings, or as you said, now uh, commercial buildings as well. Well, I'm in my work comes links to that, but it doesn't uh, come so straight from the cultural perspective. What do you think is the, the role of cultural sectors in urban development and urbanism, especially when you look at um, sustainable urbanization or these urban transformations towards sustainable future. I won't answer for the cultural sector at large. I will answer for the grassroots cultural sector uh, and the non-governmental cultural sector in particular. Um, and I would say that, well, of course, there is a creativity first, uh, that transformation often comes from, uh, you know, an alternative vision of what you can do. Um, and in, in, in this case, what you can do with space, because, for example, at Transropas, our members, they are space transform, tr- transformation agents. And uh, with the grassroots communities, what is... Uh, really interesting like I, I, I one of our members were talking was talking about duocracy it's like there is no not too much thinking there is what you can do with the means that you have and you do it uh, and with not much thinking given to whether it is technically possible it is financially uh, uh, possible uh, it is like uh, whether it is legal uh, etc and and you figure it out as you are doing it basically um, which is an approach uh, that is really an experimental approach uh, that all the sector i notice has and that 
has been having like really, really important effects and impacts on the way like city policy, for example, has evolved. Uh, if you think of the city of Berlin and uh, the, the, the policy transformation around the, the clubbing uh, movement uh, in Berlin, uh, it is a really good example. And Amsterdam is, of course, a, a really good example as well of uh, innovative policy um, developed around space, but in conversation with the grassroots communities. Uh, so again, like I think the, the, the grassroots cultural center has this power to imagine the future of cities, to project desires uh, on uh, space. And very often, uh, this is something that is really fascinating to me. Uh, you know, the space transformation is not necessarily about uh, how architecturally the space is transforming it is about how desires of people are affecting like the use of this uh, of these spaces um and uh that you can see you know a club in a former factory or you can see a gay space you know in a very corporate environment uh and and this is only about projecting desires uh, uh, bringing a community together to actually uh implement do uh and uh and this is how space is being transformed like architectural transformation is sort of a accessory in this mm -hmm. process and what do you see is the value of that for a larger scale uh, urban transformation? What is the value of these grassroots cultural centers for uh, a transition towards sustainability or livability or social justice? What is there for the larger city? Well, cities are about people, right? Uh, so uh, the fact that this transformation is uh, led by the people themselves or the, the citizens themselves uh, is for me something very crucial. And I think at the core of like, you know, uh, uh, all this school of urbanism st stemming from Jane Jacobs, like uh, Henri Lefebvre, et cetera, it's like, you know, reclaiming your right to co-create uh, the city with policymakers in a sort of bottom-up movement and not a top-down approach. So make a more livable cities for the people who live in, in there by the people who live, uh, who live there. Um, also, as I mentioned, like, you know, there is this force of imagination that often uh, we see, in, uh, especially in urban um, departments uh, in cities, or at least the cities I, I used to work at, um, is really stuck into regulations. Uh, and, um, and very often, like, you know, innovative transformation of urban space uh, comes from like questioning those regulations and uh, adapting regulations to uh, uh, what uh, needs to happen uh, in that space. And what needs to happen in that space, I think, should be defined by the citizens themselves. Uh, this is uh, what we do. Um, and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, transformation is done with this approach brings, of course, more sustainability because uh, 
the citizens are diverse. The citizens know what problematics they experience in their neighborhood, uh, like, you know, at a micro uh, local level, like phenomenons like segregation, like, you know, creating common spaces, conviviality spaces, um, education spaces, uh, etc., le leisure spaces. Uh, uh, and also livable uh, spaces. Uh, a, a good example that I think we talked about uh, last time we met, Johannes, is like, for example, we've been working for uh, a year now uh, on the creation of uh, citizen-led energy communities involving uh, cultural centers. So to integrate better the, the cultural centers in the sustainability plan of their cities themselves by developing energy production systems in the cultural centers themselves, but in connection with the rest of the cities, like mm -hmm. with schools, with supermarkets, parking lots, etc., and with the city and, and with the city uh, governments uh, also. Uh, so this is an example also of how this integration can happen from the bottom up and from citizen-led initiatives as well. It's very Interesting that you mentioned that because it, it also shows that your members or your understanding of your role or of the members' role in a large is in a larger um, urban context, right? Because cultural sector uh, centers could be something catering for a very specific demographic or for a very specific group of people. You mentioned uh, the Berlin, the, the techno scene in the, you know, that started because there was a vacuum of regulation, if you will, but it's catered for a very specific group of people who were interested in that. But how do you see this develop or how do you see that develop in in your members that was there always this this um, this understanding that cultural sectors contribute to what is going on outside of, let's say, the walls of the cultural sector as well? How do they link to the residents and how do they facilitate the creation of this desired urban future uh, you, you mentioned. Concerning Transferpals again members, I think uh, we have one specificity that I mentioned in the beginning, all of our members have repurposed the building. So at some point they all had to uh, either fight with or uh, collaborate uh, with uh, city governments um, or regional governments or like uh, they had to engage their entire community, their neighborhood uh, around uh, their their project. They had to get people on board. So they all kind of started as micro political movements, really. That's what they were. Um, and building advocacy for themselves for their projects, which was, you know, were all like urban transformation projects with different uh, levels of negotiations, uh, I think, happening uh, with uh, with the authorities. Sometimes it was like pretty brutal appropriation of, of space, you know, like uh, in this uh, squatting style and then starting a long process of negotiation to uh, uh, regularize um, uh, their uh, presence uh, or it started with a negotiation or sometimes it's also a commercial uh, uh, you know uh, contractualization people come together and buy uh, space and redevelop it um, so um, uh, I think at the core there is this engagement that is necessary but what is interesting in your question is the question of like the 
this the segregative uh, aspect of the cultural communities that uh, uh, cultural communities are known to be uh, you know gentrifiers of space uh, they are known to be exclusive uh, to certain categories of people um, and uh, in with, with certain cultures uh, you see also like you know very obvious uh, social uh, segregation uh, so I guess um, in the network, uh, if I want to be perfectly honest, everybody is not at the same level of understanding also because uh, uh, we are present in 40 different countries and uh, the, the contexts are very different from country to country uh, in terms of how diversity is understood, for example, um, in terms of like, you know, uh, what you can negotiate or not negotiate with the gov local governments. Uh, you know, it, it, of course, it's not the same situation in Hungary right now than in uh, the Netherlands, you know, or in... Uh, uh, so there are like very different uh, contexts. And uh, I mean, you're in Austria right now. Austria is really... Um, for, is really forward in this uh, reflection of uh, how to, um, you know, how cultural centers are part of a much larger ecosystem, uh, how governance of cultural organization uh, should be reflective of uh, the neighborhoods they are based in, uh, how the programming of the cultural organizations should uh, cater to the populations, uh, you know, uh, where they are uh, localized, mm -hmm. uh, how uh, or cultural organizations who have like developed this know-how and knowledge of community organizing of like, you know, sustainable governances, representative governance uh, can also educate other cultural institutions uh, and, uh, and cultural managers at cities, for example, mm -hmm. to uh, lead more sustainable practices. Uh, it's not the case everywhere, but we have in Transeuropal's uh, movement called the Cultural Transformation Movement that is looking at these processes and at how to um, integrate uh, these, uh, you know, notions of social and spatial justice uh, within the work of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when I say within the work of the organization, it says every level of the organization. It's like from the governance of the organization um, to uh, the outputs of the organization, so the, the programming, etc. Can you think of one or two examples of your members where you think this is such a good example how they work in a neighborhood or in a city and what they contribute to this neighborhood. How do how does this very concretely this cooperation or work with the city administration? Uh, how does that function? How is this trust built? Could you think of yes. two examples? Yes, uh, two examples. So I, I can talk about this example in Austria. I was mentioning uh, it's in Vienna. It's a, it's a center called Brunnen Passage. Uh, it's uh, located in, um, in, uh, in, I think, one of the largest uh, uh, immigrant uh, mm. neighborhoods and marketplaces. It's in, um, uh, Brunnenmarkt, right? Brunnenmarkt, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, and actually, the, the the space itself is a commercial uh, halle, like um, a, a marketplace. Um, that was uh, redeveloped following really principles of complete transparency. So it still looks like a, 
it, it really looks like a passageway, you know, from the market to uh, a plaza behind it. The organization uh, also uh, created a foundation called D-Arts, standing for Diversity in the Arts. It has like very strong governance principles within the organization to have a, a completely diverse uh, in intergenerational governance uh, direction, uh, etc. And that is reflected through all the aspects of uh, what uh, what they do. So the citizens themselves, basically, like they, they, they recruited a lot of their staff, including in leadership position uh, uh, within the neighborhood. So and, and, and train, they, they have also these training processes. And through the foundation they created, uh, they are now providing consultancy services for most of the, like, you know, more classic Viennese institutions, uh, the opera, the museums, etc., on how to diversify their teams, mm -hmm. on how to diversify their programs, uh, etc. So for me, this is a really, like, virtuous example. And now they are also, like, you know, bringing this model to um, the network and are very active uh, in this, uh, like uh, in spreading this cultural transformation movement and methodology within the, the grassroots cultural sector through TransEuropals. Uh, and we're leading, they are they are uh, heavily involved in a, in a, in a project that TransEuropals is leading called the Cultural Transformation Movement Project, uh, which is basically an, a, a four years long um experimentation project involving five centers that are applying those methodologies to uh, uh, co-production, uh, artistic co-production processes as well. Um, so this is an example. Another uh, interesting example is this example of the small cinema in Kosovo I was, uh, I was mentioning. Uh, it's, um, so Kosovo is a rather uh, new state uh, and, and we have uh, a member in uh, that is not established in the capital city uh, that is in Peya, uh, and uh, it was started by animation uh, movie uh, students basically who were self-taught because there was no uh, animation school uh, in Kosovo at the time, and uh, they came together to actually, uh, uh, yeah do small creations together, uh, you know, uh, share their works. Uh, and uh, and they ended up organizing a festival, the first animation uh, movie festival in, uh, in, in Peya. And very quickly actually became uh, one of the most organized organization, uh, cultural organizations in the country, uh, which was a pretty young country. And when the, the, the cultural ministry was created in, in Kosovo, they reached out to these organizations who were like just a handful mm -hmm. uh, to co-create uh, with them uh, the cultural policies at the national level to serve uh, the youth, to develop infrastructure, uh, funding schemes, etc. And this all happened really fast. And, and you, I mean, this is a pretty unique uh, situation, but we see similar things happening for uh, in Baltic countries, for example, uh, because the grassroots also like, you know, was the closest to, I, I guess, what you know, uh, culture in new countries, like you need to really like, you know, uh, 
perpetuate or create an, an, an entire uh, narrative, you know, uh, that is a decolonial, decolonial narrative mm. uh, and also a national narrative, of course. And the, the grassroots, of course, is a really good uh, element to, uh, to, to, to develop this, co-develop mm. this. So I guess that's two examples, but I could come up with examples, you know, of like these energy communities being developed, of centers that have become like entirely... Uh, uh, energy positive and completely self-sufficient, for example, yeah, can over, you, the, can you, over the years. Can you go into that a little bit? Yes, sure. Uh, so one uh, also great example within our network is Ufa Fabrik in, in Berlin. It's one of our oldest standing members. It was uh, started by a hippie commune uh, in the late 70s. Uh, who squatted a former factory uh, near Tempelhof in Berlin. Uh, so it's like a big, big complex factory complex uh, that was making a movie film, you know, like a Ufa. Uh, and um, and because they were hippies, that's very interesting. They had uh, from the beginning a, a very strong ecological ethos. Uh, which was not necessarily, you know, mainstream uh, at at the time, uh, and um, they they integrated those in ecological principles from the very beginning of the, the repurposing project. Uh, and in their commune, they had people who became like you know uh, engineers, and uh, you know there's a physics teacher at the Technical University of Berlin, etc. So they brought together also the academia, they brought the local communities. Um, to help them on the very long term, so it's not like you know millions of investment transformation happening in in two in two years time, but it's really over fifty years of time, like a very slow and organic transformation uh, with the community, with partnerships built uh, over time, etc. Uh, and they integrated uh, those ecological principles that. And today, if you visit Ufa Fabrik, it, it's it's really amazing because. Uh, so they produce uh, all of their energy and uh, they produce surplus, like out of renewable energy. So I think it's uh, solar and wind. Um, they are uh, uh, using all of the rainwater. So they have also like uh, these uh, embedded systems uh, that are feeding into like uh, their uh, water systems. Uh, they have housing on site uh, for their elderly. Uh, so inter intergenerational housing, they have a free school, they have an urban farm uh, that is also like growing crops that are feeding like, you know, the restaurants and bakery that is uh, on site, etc. So they, they created this whole, um, this whole integrated uh, system with uh, the like starting from the commune, but like progressively involving all the local community uh, and negotiating over time with the city who, of course, the occupation was illegal in the beginning, but then like, you know, gave temporary leases and now uh, recently gave a lease of uh, over 50 years, I think, uh, to, to the organization. But after 50 years of uh, being in the space, uh, uh, really, uh, but this is a good example of how you can also support the organic transformation of space on the long term by supporting the grassroots communities that you don't really need always to, you know, invest millions of euros to transform a really huge space, but really uh, support the communities rather 
uh, and trust them to uh, transform uh, this space. And, and, and Infafabriken is now regarded as a model of sustainable urban transformation by a lot of professionals in the field who come and visit. It's the most visited center, I think, in our mm. in our network for these integrated systems. How do you see this building of trust between the organizations and the local public administration, for example? Because I think this is not a this is not a trivial one, right? There, you mentioned a couple of uh, cases, like in Kosovo and in Berlin, where there where there was where these organizations might have picked up in times where there was a, a, a weak state or a weak um, a situation which is not uh, very well defined, let's say, like compared to Austria, where we have a very, you know, Austria is a very uh, administrative country. We have uh, uh, administrative rules for everything. And uh, what I sense here is that um, there is, by local public administration, there is the ambition to control these kind of organizations in one way or the other, be it with funding or means. But there is, depending on, on in which city you are in, there's not too much trust towards these kind of new organizations or new uh, methods of developing space. Not new methods, but, you know, uh, these these kind of alternative methods of experimenting with the space and giving it new um, life or identity. How do you see that um, in your work? I think it's changed quite a lot. Uh, it, it's definitely changed from uh, the moment uh, we started. I, I, I think that you're right uh, when you're saying that, uh, you know, uh, our centers uh, usually start in sort of gray areas or loopholes of uh, policy, but because usually they, they, like, you know, all of our centers are established in abandoned spaces, mm. abandoned places, and the, the, those places are not abandoned for nothing. They are abandoned because, uh, you know, there was an activity there. Uh, there was, uh, you know, uh, uh, an industrial activity. There was uh, rich commercial activity, etc. And because of social transformations or economic transformation, um, these, uh, these, uh, places uh, became redundant uh, and uh, and the and the politicians usually struggle to find new uses or new usages for these uh, for these spaces they understand the value of uh, the land but usually uh, the how to uh, revitalize um, space is, uh, is is pretty is pretty complicated. Um, so um, this is, of course, where a lot of our initiatives uh, were born. Um, but um, what we've seen, uh, of course, a lot in the in in the past years with the phenomenons like fi financialization uh, of real estate in very dense cities, where like the, the the price of the square meter is like skyrocketing completely, is that. There were like a lot of phenomenons of artists and uh, uh, cultural workers uh, leaving uh, the cities altogether. And we had a wave of development actually of cultural centers in rural or peripheric, uh, peripheric areas. Um, so um, uh, then the cities have to face 
another issue, which is that, you know, the issue of the brain drain or the issue of losing their, uh, you know, uh, create creators who are also uh, creating the attractivity of the city and uh, uh, cities now almost all understand that, you know, they have uh, to keep like a mixity of uh, of uh, people uh, in their cities and to preserve spaces for that. So, uh, what is really interesting to witness now is how those cities who face uh, these phenomenons are actually coming to consult with us. Um, to understand uh, how they can develop models where they can safeguard spaces, where they can actually entrust the local communities to develop uh, sustainable spaces for uh, cultural communities, for uh, neighbors, uh, young people, uh, etc. In the city, I, I forgot the initial question, but I think I kind of. Me too. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> right, we are we are about to come to an end to to the conversation. What are three things to learn from your work for a larger urban trans or for urban transformation as such? Three things, maybe this learning that something I heard actually from an urbanist, Brazilian urbanist, that if you trust communities or individuals, they. At, at a very micro local level, like everybody has an own interest to improve their environment. And it doesn't require a lot of investment. It is actually usually much cheaper and much more sustainable to support uh, grassroots communities and to trust them that on the long term they will improve uh, space. That's what happened in Geneva. And uh, you can, uh, you have many mechanisms through which you can do this that are not very costly for uh, local government. Uh, and from the moment you build this trust with local actors and grassroots actors, uh, uh, they will do their best to transform space and usually in a very creative way, an unusual way. And uh, this will in turn, I think, create uh, attractivity for the city, originality, aesthetics, uh, social value. So this is the first thing. The, the second thing is, of course, like, you know, something that is now, I think, universal in architecture <laughs> conversations, but like it's don't destroy and rebuild, transform, you know, like there's so, especially in Europe, there is so much, so much, so much to work with already. And uh, all the knowledge is here. Uh, it is possible to, it is much more ecological. It is much more sustainable for the communities who are there to transform and revitalize those spaces uh, than to get rid of them and, and, and build very unsustainable uh, new, uh, new spaces. The last uh, thing is like, connect, you know, uh, with different sectors, different initiatives, different uh, geographies, uh, different political environment uh, to understand and, 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 and take learnings from uh, what other cities, what other uh, actors uh, were able to do, how they mm -hmm. were able, to, so that you don't have to do all the work from scratch again, but you're able to bring like, you know, proof of concept to your uh, 
local authorities uh, saying, look, it worked in Amsterdam, it worked mm -hmm. in uh, Kosovo, like we can make it happen here too. Uh, you know, usually there's a lot of fear uh, about like, you know, overcoming uh, regulation, about uh, giving trust. About... But once you show results, uh, uh, economic development results, like, you know, sustainable urban development results, um, usually policymakers are uh, more uh, prone to, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, um, accepting that this is a sustainable model mm -hmm. of transformation. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It was so nice to have you on the show on Cities Thank Retention. you for Thank having you. me. Thank you for your time. And I hope we have the chance to meet again either in the yes in northern sweden or somewhere else <laughs> yes uh after uh, the end of uh, this uh, wonderful uh time you took off to uh create this intellectual contents and everything yes uh, right hopefully so after march hopefully yes right then have uh i hope uh still a nice and relaxed christmas break and see you soon bye Yes, that's all for this week. If you like the content and if you liked what you heard, please rate the show, leave a comment and follow us on Instagram or get in touch on LinkedIn or via email. That is johannes at anthropocene.city. We have a couple of more shows to go in the season one of Cities Reimagined before we take a little break and sum up what has been uh, discussed on the show so far. But in the meantime, I hope you are having a good one and I hope to catch you soon.